Hey everybody, this is Adam Roddy with Millennial Manhood coming live. I hope you're having a, a good Wednesday morning. Um, today I'm actually really excited to, one, be hosting again. It's always a, a pleasure to do this. And anytime Yavitsa demands and or asks me to, to fill in for him, um, I usually do it with, uh, with, with some, uh, at least a small degree of excitement. Um, today I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to have a good conversation with one of my uh, good friends, Shraven. Um, he went to law school with me, and we're also both University of Tennessee graduates. Um, we've got a good amount in common, but uh, I think probably more than anything on this podcast, uh, I care more about what we probably don't have in common. Um, Shraven, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Adam, what's going on, man? I appreciate you having me on today. Hey, no problem. Cool. Yeah. So, um, start, man. Uh, I grew up uh, over in Sevierville, Tennessee, uh, about 45 minutes out of Knoxville. Um, those who don't actually know where that is, I kind of have to tell people sometimes that I grew up in Dollywood. That's about <laughs> as reference as we can get for it. Um, after high school, I graduated there in about 2009, um, attended uh, the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, um, graduated with uh, you know, a real lucrative degree in uh, political science and uh, public administration, survived a lot of terrible, terrible football years. Decided I was a <laughs> I was a glutton for punishment, and did three more years at Tennessee uh, for law school. Graduated uh, in 2016 from there, uh, where I met Adam. Uh, after law school, took a bit of a turn. I'm up and Adam graduated, took the bar, moved out to Omaha, Nebraska, where I took my first job uh, as an in-house attorney for a pretty large company out that way. Um, felt last year hit a bit of a quarter life crisis, not being, you know, in a place I wanted to be not, you know, seeing a career going forward in that area. So up and moved back about last October back to Tennessee, um, finally found exactly where I was going when I wanted to be in Nashville. So took a job out here, uh, in consulting, um, consulting and sales actually, uh, last, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, last December, and now uh, transitioned actually back into full time legal practice, uh, working as uh, working in legal uh, for the state of Tennessee. So, you know, it's kind of been a winding road, but you know, it's been a heck of a time. Yeah, I mean, it it's definitely sounds like it's been a ride for sure. Um, not to get too deep too quick in this, um, <laughs> but. Tell me a little bit about what went into that quarter life crisis. I mean, I think, I think most men, especially, are defined by by these kind of moments where where they were on a path and then suddenly that path didn't seem right anymore. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, you take a job, you take a job on a whim. You know, you look at it. You know, I had a couple of prospects coming out when I graduated law school, which, you know, in the way the legal market was, you know, as you were in it with me it was tough. So, you know, you looked at your options and you say, what's a good move for me long-term? You know, I could take the job with the university in Knoxville or as someone who traveled a lot, you know, I have family all around the United States. So go ton of places, studied abroad, but I wasn't, I hadn't moved myself, you know, far away from home. So I looked at it, you know, I interviewed for this job while studying for the bar exam and I said, this is 
an opportunity that a lot of people coming out of law school don't have, you know, immediately out. People want to, you know, work in-house counsel. They want to work for a Fortune 500 company. So I, I said, screw it. Like, let's, I got, they offered it to me and I said, let's do it. Um, my parents were, you know, they were a little bit less uh, enthused about it. My mom's exact words were, where the hell is that? And I had to make mom a mistake, so she got that. So, you know, I moved out that way. Literally visited one time for my interview, stayed in a hotel, came back, went back a few weeks later to find an apartment, moved there knowing one person. So, you know, it, it was a great experience for, you know, the 13 months I was there. But at a point, you realize you're kind of stalling, you know, knowing that that's not where I wanted to be long term, knowing that I wanted to come back to Tennessee, knowing that I definitely wanted to be in Nashville, you know, closer to everybody that I'd grown up with, everybody that I made great friends with through college. And at that point, you're just like, what in the world am I still doing here? So, you know, my time, you know, at my old job was coming to an end and I moved back home on a whim. I my parents were very supportive of it. You know, they knew I just wasn't happy and it it takes a lot to just admit that to yourself. And it was, it scared the heck out of me, man. Like you don't know when that next move is coming, but like I said, you know, I had great support and you know, it, 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 at first it felt like the world was ending, but then you realize that if you're happier as a person, you're going to, progress and you know everything as always everything will figure itself out and it did i ended up in the city where i wanted to be okay um i can definitely see how that could be difficult going going back to your initial your initial decision to to move all the way to omaha nebraska (laughs) um do you think you said it was an opportunity um and a, and a good one at that. But did you think that you wanted it because it was a good opportunity or that you wanted it and it just so happened to also be a good opportunity? Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of both. I think that, uh, well, let me backtrack. Let me put it this way. If the job wasn't as great as it was, every chance I wouldn't have even looked into it. Man, I had never been out in the Midwest. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I was at this Nebraska Cornhusker football and cornfields is about the only thing out this way. The only thing I knew about Omaha, like I said, were the steaks and, you know, our boy Peyton Manning's famous audible. So for me, that was, that's all I knew. But in a career like the law, you have to look at it two, three, four, five years down the road saying, how is this going to affect me? Even with it being a great opportunity with a, with you know the company I was with it was a good opportunity for me personally you know it, it gave me an opportunity to grow on my own you know to live you know in a place I'd never been before experience things I've never experienced before and just kind of learn to be more independent on my own you know growing up only 45 minutes from Knoxville I was far enough away from you know my parents to where you know they didn't bother me but I can still go home whenever I want it to. You realize when you're 15 hours away, 18 hours away, 
you know, you grow as a person, you learn to, to kind of adapt to situations as, as much as you can. And, you know, while I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the time I had there, I made some of my best friends there. I think the crown jewel for me of that entire experience past, you know, the legal experience past, how it's going to look on my resume going forward. I grew as a person. I matured more than, you know, I think my family even imagined. And then I, I just hit a wall. And once I hit that wall, you know, I, I, my mom just looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And she called me one day when I got back there and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, honestly, I'm not fine. And it was at that point where we just decided that it was best that I just come back, you know, and figure my next move out. So again, great opportunity, great job. But farther than that, it was good for me as a person and honestly to grow as a man. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's critical. I think the, the part where you said that you, you not just that you hit a wall, because I think almost everybody in, in any walk of life, and especially in any profession, at some point you hit a wall, often multiple times you hit a wall. Yeah. Um, but I think, think what was really critical, what you said is, is, is that you acknowledge it. I think there's like the classic example of like the, uh, the dad who, who drives to work on a, you know, hour plus long commute, gets home, sits in front of the TV, barely talks to his kids, barely talks to his wife, um, falls in, asleep in his favorite armchair. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's just so checked out because yeah. he's hit that wall and yet he's not really acknowledging it. Or if he has acknowledged it, he hasn't chose to do something about it like you did. Um, and I think that's definitely something that, especially with our generation, I think there's a lot of like, misunderstanding is the wrong word. I think our generation in a lot of ways just doesn't always know what we want. Um, yeah. We we pursue opportunities and maybe maybe right from the onset they weren't for us or maybe part of the way through we kind of figure out i need something else i need that next step um and i think that acknowledgement i think a lot of people they just they just don't do it it's, it's easy to stay where you are it's, it's not easy to change um and i think you you <laughs> kind of did that twice um by b- both moving to omaha to take this role um and then coming to the determination that you know it was time to it was time to go again and yeah, and, I think that was pretty awesome. And and you know, I think I think what our generation also has a problem with is accepting the fact that there can be a life after hitting that wall. I think a lot of people, like you said, they hit that wall. <clears throat> excuse me. They go through the motions, not realizing that you know you're gonna stall in what you're doing if you stay with the status quo. It scared the ever living you know what out of me to to just have not have a job for a couple months like i low-key was freaking out but at the same time i knew what i had to do to make that next move you know i got home i took that weekend off you know i came to knoxville i went to the game Mm -hmm. that monday i was up at eight o'clock you know with my coffee with you know, redoing my resume. I was cranking out LinkedIn. I was talking to whoever I needed to talk to open my, you know, job search up to, you know, Knoxville, Nashville, Charlotte, Atlanta, just cities where I knew I could see myself knowing that Nashville was number one, but being open to the opportunities, you know, around. And I think that's something that our generation just needs to realize is that, you can hit that wall. You're going to, everyone's going to do it. I think it's a natural thing for people our age, 
you know, still in the relative beginnings of their career is that like, you're going to stall, but it's okay. If you, you can accept that you're going to stall, but you can move forward from it. The, the, the opportunities are there. And I think just being able to, to acknowledge it, to accept it and to go get it is the mentality that I think a lot of people in our generation, just they're scared of it, you know? I, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, uh, I think, I think way too many people, um, get so hung up on the, the low hanging fruit kind of mentality. And I think for, there's definitely a time and a place to, to go after that low hanging fruit. I mean, if, if you've been jobless for a, a long period of time, it's probably just time to get employed and, and, and yeah. figure out what yeah. the next step is Those while you're getting that paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, I think it's, I think it's so critical what, what you were saying, um, about keeping your eyes open for all other opportunities and not just getting stuck, not just hitting that wall and saying, well, this is me now. This is, this is my life. I'm, I'm, I'm done. This is everything I have to look forward to for the rest of my days. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's easy to, once you've been doing how long were you in Omaha? Uh, I was in Omaha from September of 2016 to October of 2017. So right at 13 months. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure it didn't happen immediately. Um, but I'm sure it, it could have also been potentially easy to just, you know, even though you hit a wall and you weren't, you know, you knew you wanted to do something else to just kind of chill there, you know, just yeah. not make the hard, hard decision to move back. You know, it was a progressive decision, you know, for probably about three months where it had been crossing my mind, you know, I'd been applying, but, you know, as, 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 you know, we're kind of well aware as two people who, you know, were in the job market, you know, in very, very similar fields, when you're 15 hours away, jobs don't want to have you, how are you going to come out for interviews? You know, how are you going to take off work, excuse me, to, to go interview for these jobs? So being so far away was at my detriment so many times. I could have applied for a job in Omaha or Lincoln or Kansas City and been in you know pretty good consideration for it depending on what it was. But where I wanted to be, you know, 15 hours, it was it was tough to find. You know, you get a call every once in a while and they'd say, hey, look, we're going to be honest with you. You were pretty far away. We're kind of only trying to keep it to local candidates. A lot of jobs aren't going to pay the relocation fees. So, you know, you're put in the back of a pile unless you are just the number one standout, can't miss, once in a generation LeBron James type candidate. They might even pay for that person because that's money that companies aren't going to front, law firms aren't going to front for that. So it, it's difficult. But again, you know, it's a progressive process. And again, and I had the support you know, to do what I did. And, you know, it, it brought me here today. And I think that struggle and that, you know, like, I guess I kind of called it a quarter life crisis at 25. It, it, it helped me grow going forward. And I can see that now. And, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how the hell did you do that? And I said, it scared the crap out of me. And it scared the crap out of my parents but we worked through it. We figured it out. We put our nose to the grind. We interviewed and, you know, it brought me to where I am today. And it's fantastic. It's been a heck of a ride. It's a scary ride, but I've loved it. You know, I've grown. It's been awesome. 
and you can say you survived a quarter life crisis without having uh, multiple car payments still left on like a Ferrari. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think I think you're a step above a, a lot of people who go go through these crises. We'll at least that. men. We'll, we'll save that for the three quarters life crisis at 33. <laughs> when I'm like, all right, got to get another job now. Let's do this again. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, hey, if if you if you need somebody to tell you no, well, I'll ride in the Ferrari first, and then I'll say you have to take yeah. it back. <laughs> we'll get but, we'll get a good lease on, and that's what we'll do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, for for those of you, uh, just as a small note for everybody listening, um, the idea of Shraven moving, you know, far from a lot of the people that he's known and uh, established relationships with, um, for some people, it might not sound too crazy. You know, I just took a job somewhere. You know, I didn't know anybody, but I did. But if Shraven were an insect, it would be a social butterfly. <laughs> um, Raven is, is the ultimate people person. Um, I've, I don't know if I've ever met somebody who I can meet someone random in a general 75 mile radius and say, yeah, I was, I was talking to my buddy Shraven the other day and they say, oh yeah, Shraven. Um, <laughs> it's, it's uncanny. The guy has a, a, a good, really great knack for, uh, building relationships and, uh, really, just staying on the forefront of people's minds. It's, it's uncanny, really. What um, Adam doesn't tell you guys is the back end of those conversations. We're like, oh my God, that guy, like seriously. Yeah. And then, then they, uh, and then they say you're saying, so that it, it's a back and forth. It's a roller coaster of Straven. That might be the name, title of this podcast. There we go. Straven. <laughs> um, but to, to move things along a little bit, um, I know you, you mentioned your, your mom a few times, um, and speaking of roller coasters, we went from that to this. Um, <laughs> and you, you mentioned your mother a few times, and and it, it sounds like at least on some level, your relationship with her or, or your parents has been has been pretty important to you, or maybe even formative, should I say, over the years. W- would you agree with that? Or absolutely, you know, it, it it's one of those things where like my parents rode me growing up. You know, a lot of academic pressure everything yeah. like that obviously it's fantastic you know the time it sucks but like you know going forward you're like all right like making straight A's is actually very important in high school <laughs> so you, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't think and now it's just like oh crap like, like i gotta get into college and now they encourage it through college and they encourage it through law school no um my my parents have been you know a huge part of my life you know my parents obviously you know they're immigrants from india you know they moved here in the you know late 80s they they work their asses off, you know, to, to, you know, give us a life, give me and my older sisters a life, uh, you know, here in the States. And, you know, I couldn't be more thankful for, you know, what they've done and, you know, just seeing their worth work ethic, you know, as I grew up and them, you know, pushing us to be the best we can now. Granted, I didn't become a doctor like they wanted, but <laughs> I always say you got a doctor in one sister, you got a sister in business. I was like, and you got a lawyer, I think. It even trifecta should be good enough, but wow, that is a powerful yeah. combination. <laughs> it, it was pressure, but it was good pressure, and and you know, it, it it's been fantastic. You know, my my parents were devastated to to a pretty like crazy point when I was like, I'm moving to Nebraska. It's not yeah. as sexy as New York and California, but you know, it's it's a it's a pretty good job, and they're like, okay, like it's fine. Um, were they more concerned with you? Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, were they more concerned with the fact that you were moving a good distance away or that it was Omaha versus (laughs) California? 
Uh, I think they were more concerned that I was moving to a city that they had not really exactly ever heard of outside of the state. Yeah. So and I, I don't blame them. A lot of people yeah. in our generation might not have heard of Omaha or ne- the whole state of Nebraska. I wouldn't so, put it past people. Uh, our Vol fans will know Nebraska. Our Vol fans will know yep. Omaha because of our boy Peyton. But, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, I have family members who are like, so how is Oklahoma? And I'm like, I, it's great. You know, whatever. It's fantastic. <laughs> It'll work out for me, but um, I think I think the concern for them was I moving to BFE, a town, a city that you know they never heard of, a city mm-hmm. that I interviewed in, found an apartment in, and then moved there. I knew one person in the entire city, and it's a girl. They the same company hired a girl that I graduated with law school, so um, you know that familiarity was fine. But other than that, it, it was starting from scratch and. You know, my parents were legitimately concerned. Um, you know, if I moved to Washington, D.C., they would have been like, okay, he's in D.C., like, he'll be fine. Or, you know, California, like, oh, he's got a sister there. Like, th- yeah. I think those would have been a lot different of a situation. But me being the youngest, you know, my, my family would say I'm the spoiled one. I, being the baby. The baby. Being, you know, 15 hours away after being so close for so long. Uh, you know, my parents were legitimately concerned, but, um, you know, oddly enough, they, they encouraged me to come back when, when I hit that wall and they were fantastic throughout. They said, look, we, we know you're not gonna, you know, slack off of your stay. You know, you're welcome back home. You're always welcome here, obviously, but you know, we, we're going to make you put your nose to the grindstone if, if we don't see it out of you. And I, I didn't want to do that. Because I know that they raised me better than to to slack it off like that. And sixty days later, I was gone. And then mom goes, "Oh, why don't you just stay some more?" And I was like, "I gotta get out now. This is I'm done with this." <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, well, you you've mentioned a, a good amount about you know how your parents raised you and, and how that's uh, affected your everything from your work ethic to um, your your own kind of sense of drive. Um, do you know, or, or could you talk a little bit about where or when or, or what really began shaping your idea of, of what it, what it is to be a man? Cause obviously, obviously this podcast is called millennial manhood. <laughs> um, and so shockingly enough, some people listening may, may just be completely surprised by this whole concept that occasionally we talk about what it means to be a man on here. Um, but I would, I would love more than anything to, to definitely get your insight on that. And it, it, especially whether it was, from your family or your own thought, or, or maybe you read some inspirational quote on a wall one day and it changed your life forever. You know, I think, I think that definition to me is still growing. I think, you know, watching my parents, you know, work here, you know, in a new country to, to, you know, like I said, give me and my sisters a good life here. I think, you know, being able to work hard for what you want. I think even as I've grown up, you know, playing team sports, I think, you know, being, you know, having, having a drive, I think knowing what you want, but even if you figure out that you might, might not be what you want later, figuring out the proper way to go about, you know, getting, attaining, what you need, being able to admit things to yourself that you might not be able to say to other people, but, you know, just 
accepting the things that you know might be kind of a flaw and understanding that it doesn't have to be that way you know figuring out different ways to make sure that you know you and the people around you are happy making sure that you are taking yourself out of toxic environments and toxic relationships you know these sound like all basic things that can shape you know shape us into being you know great men and women but a lot of these things hold us back from you know reaching the potential that we can reach so you know we're still young so things that you know might shape being a man growing up you know we're still going to learn that but being able to work hard being able to accept what you can and can't change being able to adapt to, to your situations I think once you can do those things you know you're going to grow as a person you're going to grow as a man and the stigma behind people not being able to accept things that are wrong people that stay with the status quo when they know that there's something better down the road um, I think I think that that hinders personal development especially in millennials and I think being able to 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 admit to yourself that you messed up or being admit to yourself that this is not the way things need to be this is not the way things can be admitting those accepting those and taking the initiative to change the status quo into your favor are all things that I think you know how I see I've grown as a man and continue to grow as a man as I'm learning every day. But I think these are all things that people can, can take away and realize that things will be okay. You will be mm. fine. And I think yeah. once you can accept that you'll grow as a person, you'll mature and you'll be happier overall. And I think in general, just being a man, just being happy, being able to provide, yeah. being able to, to work your butt off, but just being happy in the end that's kind of what we all want. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds to me like uh, if I had to give the, the, the spark notes of that a little bit, and spark notes, if you're listening, would like to advertise on this podcast, feel free to, I'm kidding. Um, but it, it sounds to me like, like one of the keys in, in, in your mind to, to growing and developing as a man is, is a, a lot of self-reflection and a lot of, of understanding. Uh, I, I believe you said something along the lines, you said, knowing what you want, you said, and then you said understanding your flaws. Um, a lot of people can tell you what their flaws are, but a, a, not that many people can truly understand their flaws. And um, I may be perfect, but but I, I'm sure there's a lot of times <laughs> in your life where um, uh, you know you can you can say something along the lines of, uh, let's say somebody says, ah, "I'm a bad public speaker. Uh, it's just not my forte. You know, so I just don't do it." Um, I think. I think that's a critical flaw for a lot of people. I think the flaw is way more in stopping there in your kind of self-analysis than just having the flaw to begin with. I think when people just limit, I think to, to simply stop there at your own self-reflection is limiting yourself far more than the flaw could ever do. Um, and, and I think that's something that's, that's been pretty powerful. I know in my own life, and it sounds like it, it's definitely something you've, you've focused on a lot um, is is rec- not only recognizing your flaws, but but knowing how they're he- holding you back and, and kind of how to go around those. Yeah, um, and it, it's like you said, you know, if you're a bad public speaker and you avoid public speaking, well, it's going to hinder you. It's going to hinder you in, you know, potential jobs that you might look at. It's going to hinder you in, you know, situations that you're going to be in, whether you need to, 
be a best man in a wedding and give a speech, anything to that, to getting a job, it, it's going to hinder you. But understanding your flaw and knowing that it, it can change, knowing that you can practice that and it can become a strength. And I think being able to understand that it doesn't end with the flaw, that your flaw can become a strength is something that I think, you know, people, you know, our age and the millennial generation has trouble understanding, but it would go, it would, it would do wonders for a ton of people if, if, if they could even just accept it and say, okay, little practice here and there, and then they'll figure it out. What do you see? I mean, we, we just talked about it a little bit, but what do you see as a, as, as a problem for, for men our age, whether they're a little younger, or a little older, maybe they're in college, maybe they're not. What do you see as a big problem right now? And, and, and what do you, you don't necessarily have to have a solution for it. I don't think anybody ever has, a, <laughs> has, a, has the, the surefire solution. Otherwise we'd probably be making millions off of who knows what kind of idea. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like just walking around these days, uh, no matter where you are or interacting or, or, you know, seeing, you know, a million different things on any form of social media, um, you, you see a lot of reoccurring things. Um, but, but what do you see or see or some of the, the, the problems or, or these walls that you've talked about that a lot of men are experiencing right now? I think truth be told, there's two and I'm going to be blunt about them. Good. I think, Please do. I think people our age, people, men our age specifically are lazy and I think we have trouble being honest with ourselves and the people around us. And that could go for, <clears throat> excuse me, any situation we can think of. I think it goes back to what we said earlier. You see that flaw, but you're too lazy to fix it. Or you just don't want to do it. It's just complete apathy. When you know it could benefit you going forward, you just choose not to do it. I don't have time to do it. I'd rather do this. I'd rather do that. Like You can fix it if you really put your mind to it. And it doesn't take much to... Let's go back to the example of being a public speaker. It doesn't take much to learn how to be a good public speaker. If you have a mirror and a speech, it's my opinion that you can do it. Now, I'm not a speech expert by any means, but that's how I learned to do it. I talked in a mirror. I talked in the shower. I talked people's heads off. And for me, it worked just fine. <laughs> and, and then the back end of that is I just don't think people are honest with themselves which can go hand in hand with people being lazy. Oh, I'm not that lazy. I'm just busy. Well, you're not busy. You spent five hours playing Fortnite till 4 a.m. when you could have <laughs> slept and woken up in the morning and gone on a run. And, oh, no, I was busy. I, I, think, yeah. I, I think when you lie to yourself about things, you, you keep the status quo. And I know we've talked about that a lot. I've definitely said that a lot, but I think that's the struggle is everyone's keeping it going with the flow, keeping everything, you know, in a straight line. Life's going to take you in a windy road. You're going to go up. You're going to go down. You're going to go side. You're going to go to the other side. You're going to fall down. You're going to trip. But that's okay. All of those things are going to make you better going forward. And I think if you're honest with yourself about life not being a straight trajectory, that it's going to wobble, 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 wobble. It's okay. And I think we have problems admitting that to ourselves and being honest with ourselves about that being just a part of life. Why and do you think that is? Why, why do you think that, that, that men so – I feel like so much more easy. I mean there's 
you can look up a thousand and one statistics out there. And um, when you compare men and women, men are simply not as emotionally intelligent as women. Um, it's, science is, is pretty clear cut on that. Obviously, there's there's differences and variances and stuff like that. And maybe that's a, a, a part of this. I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to, um, you know, yeah. make assumptions on that. But why, why do you think so many men, and myself included, I mean, I, I try to catch myself on a regular basis. Um, I mean, I think the worst lies are the ones you tell yourself because you're you're going to believe them and you're going to live your life based upon something that's false. And um, yeah, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many men um, are telling themselves these lies, whether it's like, I don't have enough time or, or like you said, no, you, you're, you're just playing Fortnite all day. Um, I, you do have enough time. You're just not making it. I, I think it goes, but I, I think we're scared. I think we don't know what's going to happen on the other side. If we choose to make the, if we choose to be honest with ourselves, nobody wants to hear the bad news about themselves. The last thing you know, you want to hear is you're lazy. The last thing you want to tell yourself is you're lazy. You wasted this amount of time. And I think men just have problems accepting that, you know, we feel like, you know, oh, we're in our mid twenties. Like this is what everybody does. Like everybody, you know, goes to work, you know, goes to happy hour, goes to place Fortnite, you know, might do 15 push-ups, 15 sit-ups before bed and lather, rinse, repeat the next day. What I, I think, I think we're scared to, to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, this is not the way we are going to grow as people. And I put that in a hypothetical of saying, let's say you notice yourself gaining some weight, you know, mid twenties, let's say we all drink a lot of beer. It happens to everyone. Totally fine. But let's say, you know, you wake up one day, you go to work, go to happy hour. You, you go home, play Fortnite. You do 10 pushups, 10 sets for bed, lather, rinse, repeat the next day. The next morning, put, you know, your work pants on, button pops out. What do you look at yourself? You, nobody wants to admit that the ha- if those same habits are not great habits to have. They don't admit to themselves that I needed to go to the gym. They're going to say, oh, these pants must be old. The button popped out. No big deal. Let's try another pair. And they'll say the other pair works. It's like, okay, these are fine. We'll, we'll take these two, yeah. get them altered and everything like that. Hard truth is you've gained some weight. It sucks. No, but you don't want to admit that to yourself. You want to put the flaw on something else. You want to put the fault on something else. When you know the reality is you drank Mountain Dew, played Fortnite, did 10 push-ups, drank five Budweiser's at happy hour. And that could contribute to the issue if you're doing that three or four times a week. Uh, Don't tell me that, man. Don't tell me that. (laughs) I I can't handle that. But no, I I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's it's way easier to to put the blame on on an external force that is less out of your control, um, and, and I think I think you see it time and time again. I mean, I, you, I mean, pretty much anybody that's listening right now, I would imagine, can think of some example in their own life or someone that they know um, where there's a, a clear problem, and it doesn't have to be something major. It could be something way less serious, even than than, than just gaining some weight. Um, it could be something like you said about Fortnite. For those of you listening, if you don't know what Fortnite is. Um, Fortnite is basically the most popular video game in the country right now, um, sweeping the nation, but, it's um, an epidemic. <laughs> yeah, that, that is definitely a, a very appropriate term for it. Um, 
but you you probably know somebody who is is constantly doing something um, maybe they complain a lot about it or the results of it and maybe you've brought up hey it, it's it's probably because you're doing this or you're not doing that and they're the first person to say no 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 it's actually for for reason x it's for reason y it's for this whole laundry list of things that they they can kind of come off and, and justify super super quick but the only common denominator between all those reasons is that most of them if not all of them are not directly in their control at all um and i'm guilty of it i'm sure shraven i'm sure you've been guilty of it before um it, i was probably guilty of it yesterday it's fine exactly um i mean i don't know how many times where i've told somebody ah, i don't really have the time to do that and then i think back on the day and all the time that I spent wasting doing something that really wasn't that beneficial to my life, watching the latest show on Netflix, doing who knows what. Um, and I think that's a real common thread right now, especially with men. I mean, I think, I, I think I've seen a few articles lately that, talking about a lack of purpose in men or a lack of drive. You know, gone is the greatest generation. Um, it's a bunch of, like you said, lazy um, millennial men out there who, um, it's, who are finding it a lot easier to to say that they they can't get their life in order or do something that they should be doing um, because of something that's out of their hands rather than the fact that it's it's completely in their hands and they're just not doing what they need to do. And it's not something that's focused on just a group of people or certain people. It's everyone. It's Adam. Oh, it's yeah. myself. It's, you know, Adam's friends. It's my friends. It's, it's everybody. So yeah. don't think this is this is centered to you, the listener, who's thinking about this saying, oh my God, like this is me. It's not just you. It's literally anybody you can think of. There's probably at least one thing in their life where they're just not admitting to themselves that they could be better at it. It, it. It's the way things are. It's 2018. It's the norm. So you're not alone in this struggle. Absolutely. And, and I think I was literally just thinking as you were saying that and ended with you're not alone is that at least in my experience, the, the best the best thing that I've ever found for for something that I'm just not doing that I know I need to be doing, I'm basically getting in my own way, is finding somebody to hold you accountable in your life. Um, I know Yavitsa, um, who's not here, so we can we can disparage him as much as we want. <laughs> um, he's been that guy for me a lot, whether it's a significant other. Um, I know um, my significant other right now, Bethany. She's it's been that way with her. Um, you need that person who's going to call you out. Um, when you need to be called out. And a lot of the time, uh, it's somewhat of a harder conversation. You don't want to hear it at first, but generally 24 hours later, you're thanking them. Um, and you're, you're thanking them because they did something that you couldn't do for yourself, even though you're the only beneficiary. Um, and I, I just think that's super critical. I think a, a lot of men and a lot of people in general, they either don't have a mentor or that kind of friend. And it, it's not a conversation you're going to want to have. It's not a conversation, you know, Adam and myself want to hear, but it's a conversation that needs to probably happen. And like I said, you're going to hate it at first. You're going to be like, oh, whatever. Like this is, you're wildly untrue. And then it happens again and you're like, oh, crap, they might be right. So taking it, you know, Taking constructive criticism is the best way I can put it. You know, don't take things the wrong way. If someone's trying to hold you accountable, it's because they care about you. It's because they know that you can do better than you're doing. So it's nothing to get offended over. It's nothing to lash out at. Take it with a grain of salt. Think about it and say, okay, 
you know what, maybe they're right, you know, maybe I should try what they're saying. They obviously, like, they aren't saying this to, to talk, they aren't saying this to toot their own horns. They're saying it because they care about me. They want me to grow as a person. They want me to to mature. They want me to, you know, expand my horizons. So just just take the constructive criticism well. I promise you, it'll go light years for you, even if it's from the smallest piece of advice to whatever they can give you. Think about it, you know, let it marinate and just say, okay, you know what, maybe they were right. And then just I- go forward from there. I I agree completely. Um, I think I think the world would go around a lot easier if, if if people were more open to that constructive criticism. I know one quote that always stuck with me, and obviously us both being University of Tennessee alumni, um, it was a quote from the uh, the former Senator Howard Baker. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny, but a little tongue in cheek. But it always stuck with me, and it was any time that I sit across a table for somebody in any sort of negotiation. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, he says, I always like to think that the other person may be right. Um, and it's something I've tried to stick with me in business and, and just in general. Like anytime somebody says something at you, it's not exactly easy to hear whether it's directly targeted at you or um, it's in some sort of negotiation or, you know, they're a Democrat, you're a Republican or vice versa, or, you know, with all these polarizing issues out there. Um, if you start the conversation and and it started to really change my thinking from they could be right i could be the wrong person in this situation um i think more than anything if 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 you apply that to your own personal life where it's probably the hardest because they're telling you what's wrong with yourself (laughs) um i i'd i know it's definitely something that i need to work on because there's definitely a lot of times where the last thing i want to hear out of someone's mouth is is how i should be doing something um but I, i truly think that 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 is one of the the key secrets um that's not that secret to to really improving in life and 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 figuring out where your where your weaknesses are and where your strengths are even yeah and you know you don't have to go to law school to to think in a negotiation that the other person might be right like out of that's out of mind's backgrounds obviously you know howard baker's a great ut alum you know it's a quote of his, but at the same time, you know, Adam went to law school. I went to law school. This might be the most, you know, the mentality that we all, you know, had is we're always right. You know, whether, you know, you're in a mediation or whether, you know, you're going to court or for anything like that, you know, anything from a moot court competition, you know, what does everybody want to be right? And that's just kind of the mentality that, you know, we were kind of brought with, but that doesn't mean that, everybody shouldn't have that mentality you don't need to go to law school to think somebody else might be right more than you it, being able to accept that you want the smartest person in the world that somebody might be looking out for your best interest aside from yourself maybe aside from your immediate family even if it's just a friend they say these things because they care about you they want the best for you so you know it's like we said they might be right so think about it and then if you think that it's something you can improve on, then then you're better off for it going forward. And sometimes they may not want the best for you. And and I think you'll definitely <laughs> find that uh, in whatever occupation you pursue more than most other scenarios. Yeah. There's some people who the only reason they're criticizing you is is because they don't like you or they don't want the best from you. But it's an even harder pill to swallow, but they could still be right. 
they could still be criticizing something that's valid. And that, that's, yeah. that's a, a whole nother conversation in and of itself is, is how not to punch them in the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess to move things on just a little bit, we're, we're getting a little short on time here. Um, this is, uh, I guess to end it on a little bit of a different note, uh, Shraven, this, this may shock you, but you're brown. Wait, really? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if you've checked lately. Um, maybe it has had a big influence on your life. Maybe it hasn't. I don't know. You, li- you live in Tennessee. You live in the South. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes about how um, people of color or people who simply aren't white are treated in the South um, and, and how they have different experiences than other parts of the world. Has, has that been in any way a, a shaper of your life or your, your, your thought process? You know, if there's a... There's probably two things I can say to that. Probably about three things. One, I've been, you know, very, very lucky in that I've not experienced any outward. I'm just gonna say I've never, I've not experienced any outward racism towards me, and okay. I'm very, very lucky for that. Now, with that said, you know, I developed a very, very thick skin when I was younger. You know. Mm fourth and fifth graders say a lot of things that they don't know what the heck they're saying, you know? So, um, full disclosure in intermediate school in middle school, I was the hairy kid because, you know, I was Indian obviously. So I had body hair before everybody else had a mustache, had a terrifying unibrow that (laughs) haunts me to this day. And, you know, I, people would say, oh my gosh, you're so hairy. And, you know, at that age, like, I didn't know how to take it. And my mom would just say, oh, they're jealous. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're right. And then I got older and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, now they really are when we're like 20. Yeah. Um, so with that said, uh, you know, I, I developed thick skin because of that. But, you know, it, it bothered me at the time and I, I'd go yeah. home to my parents and I'd complain about it. I'm like, why am I the hairy kid and, and all this stuff. And they'd be like, well, it's cause you're different. And you know, as I got older, I just didn't care anymore. I was still, yeah. you know, had more arm and leg hair than most of all of my friends. But you know, as we got to college, everyone was like, Oh my gosh, like we wish we could grow chest hair like you. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. You know, 15 years later, this means so much to me. I love it. Trying and failing to grow beards, just staring at you longingly. Ooh, four days in, that's everybody. It's, it's your four months in. So, yeah. It, looking back on it, you know, it, it didn't affect me in a way it probably could have. I I just kind of took it as what it was. Yeah, it bothered me, but looking back on it now, it's just like. I don't care. I, I stopped caring probably when I got to high school. I was like, whatever at this point. Yeah. Like, this is who I am. Like, if I'm, you know, different and and I'm okay with it now. The whole the unibrow makes you special thing is an entirely different story that we took care of significantly earlier. <laughs> That's good to hear. But, That's good. But you know, I, I accepted it. And I guess the one thing that I will say is, you know we were very, very young, you know, back when, back on 9-11. And I'll never forget, you know, I got picked up from school that day from my mom and the school didn't really tell us what was going on. They were just saying there was a tragedy coming over the intercom. And, you know, again, we're eight, nine years old and we're so confused. Like, well, I guess I was about 10 and 
nine actually and we're just like we don't know what's going on i get in the car and mom tells me what happened and she goes you know if if anybody says anything to you that that's really mean or hurtful about you know you know the color of your skin or calls you a name like yeah you need to you need to tell me because again in my school i might have been the only indian kid in my school at the time might have been one other person and like i said you kids say that the darndest things sometimes and one of those kids might not know what he's saying or she's saying and you know i i like i said i was very very lucky to to never have experienced that but you know if i would have who knows how i would have reacted um i probably wouldn't have known at the time and looking back on it now i probably have been like probably should have said something but you know i, I see how people who grow up as the only Indian kid, the only African American, the only, you know, Asian kid, like where they are and how they can be looked at differently. You would think in East Tennessee be different, but I, like I said, I was very, very lucky. Um, and it, it never happened to me. The, the, the grunt of what I got, to be honest, was I got the stereotypical gas station, convenience store, hotel jokes that, yeah. you know, oh, that, that, that was it. And, you know, most, I think one kid in fourth grade made a convenience store joke and I told the teacher and he got sent to the principal's office. But past that, you know, I, I, if my friends made those jokes, I, I knew it was in good fun. Um, so it never really hurt my feelings. But with that said, if somebody else would have done it, somebody I didn't know, somebody who I knew was outwardly had a bias um i think i would have reacted a lot differently i think it i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i think a big part of that is is intent i mean like you said with your friends you know the the goal and the purpose and the intent is is to by no means hurt you or disparage you whereas a stranger you know it's usually a little bit more indicative of of what they what they're how they actually feel towards you or, or, or people similar to you but I mean more than anything though it is uplifting to hear that um, you you know you had a better experience and you know you were very lucky and blessed in that regard um, and just to, just as an aside too this is this is not something we usually dive too much into and, and I, I wanted to make a note on the podcast that we discussed everything else about Shraven first <laughs> because w- I'm I'm good friends with Shraven, and and one of the last things I care about is is, is the color of his skin, and and it's not really a point of the podcast either. Is, you know, we want to know deep down who people are and what makes them tick, and um, their experiences, and 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 their personality, and and who they are, and it, if something like that has influenced who they are, then yeah, yeah, that's by all means, it's open season on, on talking about that. But um, I I definitely wanted to make a point that that is not why. Traven's on this podcast and and, and, and that was the, one of the last things that we mentioned as a note you know for a reason it's because Shraven has a whole lot of other life experiences that that are incredibly engaging and and I'm glad we got to talk about today um one of the last questions that we always like to ask and I think I forgot to ask somebody once and I'm sure Yavitsa didn't tell me about it but was um, a little mad at me for not doing is if you could go back in in time and tell little Shraven with the unibrow um one or two things to uh to to help him or to uh you know to really set him on a good path not that you live some horrible life um but if you could if you could tell him one or two things um what would you say 
uh, I would tell him to wax his eyebrows about five years earlier than he did. No. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Little me. You know, if I could tell little me at least one thing, it, it, it's what I've harped on this entire podcast, to be honest with yourself. Um, accept who you are. Accept everything that you have. Make everything the best it can be you know just just be yourself honestly just go back just be yourself don't be somebody that you're not to go back to what you said i'll tell a quick story and i guess it was sixth grade i was to the point where i was so self-conscious about my hair i said i whacked i waxed my entire body arms Mm -hmm. legs chest and the time i was like okay i feel so part of everybody now i'm not the hairy kid right now yeah going to school on monday everyone was like oh my gosh you have no hair and i'm like yeah i shaved it all that wasn't who i was yeah and i tried to be somebody i wasn't outward don't do that be yourself Mm -hmm. accept who you are don't let people bring you down for little things like that let that be a lesson throughout your entire life now if you're a serial killer don't be a serial killer but if you're outgoing be outgoing if you're an introvert be an introvert if if you're a social butterfly like me be a social butterfly that's who you are continue on that path of being who you are let people accept that and your life will be so much easier you won't feel like you yourself are a fallacy or you're just being a person that you're not i think i would tell myself that then and i continue to tell myself that to this day well all right i i don't think i can i can think of a better way to end this podcast um thank you so much Shraven, for being here um i really appreciate it and hopefully we can have you on again in the future no adam i appreciate the time hey i'm gonna run a quick plug on here if you don't mind listeners <laughs> no by have, all means if you have an opportunity get on your instagram Follow at Love Live Nashville. I eat a ton of good food here in the area. I do a lot of fun things around. My friends gave me hell for putting it on my own personal account. So started this account. Tell your friends about it. Whoever comes and visits Nashville. Been to a ton of restaurants in the area. It's still starting up, but check it out. You got places like Mockingbird on there, Prince's Hot Chicken, places like that. So check it out. Food looks really, really good. Um, I do it for fun by no means. I'm looking for, you know, anything like that. Just want people to experience the Nashville that I have. So like I said, follow at love live Nashville on Instagram. All right. At love live Nashville on Instagram. Yeah. Everybody feel free to give a follow and Shraven's definitely the kind of guy that you can reach out to. And he is always going to, uh, to, to message you back. And, uh, he's a, he's a really great guy about that. But other than that, um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, we really appreciate this. I'm I'm very happy to be to be on again and and have the chance to um to do this. It's definitely something that we really really enjoy. But um, one of the things that helps us the most, um, more than anything, really is is your feedback. We are in desperate need of feedback on how we can improve this. The types of guests you want to see. If you want to see Shraven twelve times a week, I don't know if we can do that, but we could probably do <laughs> at least half. Um, but other than that, uh. 
please, please, please send us your feedback. You can email us at millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Once again, that's millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Um, also, the stereotypical, drop us a like, um, rate us five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast medium you choose. We're pretty much on all of them. Um, and, and share it with your friends. You know, If there's a particular episode you think somebody would enjoy listening to or may need to hear, please you know, you know, shoot them a, a share, post it on Facebook, tag them. Um, or if there's anyone, like I said, that you want to see on here, let us know. Um, we're trying to improve this as much as we can. We're, we're always trying to get this better. Um, and we're, we're just trying to make this a, a, a really cool experience and, and, and turn it into something really great. Other than that, I hope you all have a great week. I'm excited to be on this podcast once again. Um, look forward to more episodes in the future. Thank you.